Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, for they have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Terry. Good morning. Um, good to have you all here this morning. Uh, Pastor Tim is currently away on a mission trip, so I'm happy to bring you the message uh, this morning. Uh, pray for Pastor Tim and his mission trip. He's in Asia uh, doing some work there, and so I'm sure he would very much appreciate your prayers. Uh, and I won't appreciate me saying this, but uh, next, well, Pastor Tim will also be away next Sunday. And so our very own seminarian, Chris Chang, is going to be giving the message next week. And so we look forward to that. Uh, yes, you can clap for him. It's fine. <laughs> no pressure, Chris. No pressure. <laughs> um, but if you've taken a basic psychology class, or even if you haven't, you're probably uh, familiar with the concept of conditioning. Um, this is where an expected response can be trained by, associated, by associating it with a given stimulus. Um, you know, through the process of repetition, the creature learns a connection between a behavior and a result. So much so that a response can be elicited whenever the stimulus is given, even the factors change. Those of you who have taken a psychology class, you know, you're probably familiar with Pavlov's experiments with his dog. And you can watch the short uh, video clip from the TV series The Office to see a case of conditioning. So you can show the video. Reboot again.
reboot again. Hey, Dwight, do you want that one? What do you think? In school, we learn about this scientist who trained dogs to salivate at the sound of a bell by feeding them whenever a bell rang. So for the past couple weeks, I've been conducting a similar experiment. What? One out. Okay. Altoid? Sure. So that is conditioning. And whether we realize it or not, you know, we've been conditioned to think in certain ways. We often ex- expect to receive an altoid anytime we hear a certain thing. And this is what troubles us as we study the book of Ecclesiastes. The perspective of life given in Ecclesiastes is very unsatisfying to me. As I studied this passage in preparation for this message, my dissatisfaction increased. In fact, the portion of Ecclesiastes has been called by some scholars the most pessimistic section of this book. And I hope to be able to, be able to show you some of this today. But I also want to add to this passage a New Testament perspective and how I think some of the New Testament authors, one in particular, would respond. So let's begin by looking at Coalesce's perspective. As a reminder, uh, we learned in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes that Coalesce, the Hebrew word, for teacher is the wise sage in this book. Based on the description given to him, uh, we know that Coalith is King Solomon, David's son. Coalith uh, has embarked on a long journey to discover the meaning of life, which he chronicles in this book of Ecclesiastes. Throughout his journey, he, he seems to get no definitive answer. The more he observed, the more he struggled to make sense of things. And his finding in the first section of Ecclesiastes 9 are kind of a summary of what he's found so far. And the first point he would make, I'm sorry, I don't have the remote, Nate, so if you could flip the remote. The first point he would make from his perspective is that good and evil happen without discrimination. Good and evil happen without discrimination. Once again, if you have your Bibles already turned to Ecclesiastes 9, you can look back at that and we'll actually start and see what's written at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17 and then going on to 9 verse 3. This is what he writes. He says, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on his earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. In chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. 
the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. Then skipping down to verse 11. He has seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, to the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Solomon has been struggling to understand why things are the way they are. In chapter 8 we see he lies awake day and night just thinking about these things. But in the end he realizes he can't. No one can understand. Even if a person says he understands, he doesn't understand. And he continues in chapter 9 that it doesn't make sense because love and hate, in other words, good and evil, can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're a righteous person or an unrighteous person, whether you live an upright life or a bad life, wise or wealthy. You know, bad, good and bad can happen to a person irregardless. And this troubles us because of this concept of conditioning. We want to believe that if we live a good life, good things are going to happen to us. And for those who live in a moral life, bad things are going to happen to them. We may think that, you know, if God just wanted to reinforce good behavior or make us see him as a good God, he would just adopt some type of reward system. You know, if we do a good deed, we would get some type of blessing. Or maybe to make a more sparse correlation, say if we spent time in personal worship, if we, you know, read our Bibles and prayed 15 days in a row, you know, we would get a small pay raise or something like that. You know, if God did this, we might believe, you know, he could reinforce good behavior, more people would want to, you know, believe in him and worship him. And even when things, you know, don't go our way, maybe we even question why, thinking, you know, I've been obedient to you, Lord. I've lived a pretty good life. Why is this bad thing happening? And so Solomon, you know, affirms this is, you know, really the case that good and bad can happen regardless of a person's lifestyle, person's circumstances. And, and I think we've all seen this to be true. You know, for those of you who work outside the home, maybe you have people in your company who you just see as not very good people. They constantly criticize, they do things aggressively, they step over people. You would say maybe they do things unethically. Yet you see they are the ones that get promoted, whereas others who, you know, just kind of work quietly, keep to themselves, but and are very faithful, you know, they seem to be passed over. When Hurricane Harvey hit Houston uh, last year, my brother's house escaped with just a little water uh, seeping into his garage, while the other homes to his right and to his left got completely flooded. I mean, was it because my late his neighbors lived a more unrighteous life than he did? And I don't think so, and, and I'm not trying to imply that my brother lives a very unrighteous life. It's just, I don't think his neighbors live such bad lives. You know, Koloth affirms that God does not often respond to how we think he ought to. And we don't know why. When circumstances do not provide a basis for affirming God's favor or lack thereof. So we will not always get the altoids, even when we think we should. And Koalas sounds even bleaker in the next section when he teaches that death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. 
Turn again to our passage as I reread the second half of verse 3 and verse 12. Verse 3, The hearts of men moreover are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Verse 12, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. As with the first point, death can come upon anyone, regardless of one's moral standing, and it can happen at any time. Coralist's point in verse 12 is that you know, one can be like a fish happily swimming in the ocean or a bird flying in the air enjoying the view. Then unexpectedly something happens and, you know, bam, the person's dead. And we don't understand why. Or the opposite. We see evil people we feel shouldn't be left living, that they live a long life. And I would imagine we can all think of cases of the former and the latter. There was a couple from Minister Stan's home church in Houston who had a child several years ago. Uh, the couple would definitely be seen as a very godly couple, you know, faithful to God, faithful to the church. They had a daughter who at the age of five began having serious headaches. At first they thought it might be a sinus infection and the doctors agreed. But then she got worse and began vomiting. They took an MRI and it confirmed that she had a massive brain tumor the size of a small orange. And it was inoperable due to the location of it. Two years later, in 2009, at the age of seven, she passed away. You know why? You know, why does a, a spunky little girl like Nikki, who had so much life to live, pass away while, you know, you think of corrupt dictators, maybe like someone like, you know, Robert Mugabe, who's responsible for genocide, you know, corruption and just oppressing the people of Zimbabwe. Why is he still alive at 93? Even someone like, you know, Hugh Hefner, who basically lived his life to exploit women. Why did he live until the ripe old age of 91? You know, Kola doesn't pretend to have an answer to this question. He just affirms the reality of it, that one cannot take his or her life for granted. You know, death is the great equalizer, and it can happen at any time. So what are we to make of all this? You know, how should a person respond? In our passage, Coalesce here's two conclusions. First, because we're all going to die one day and we don't know when, he says, being alive is better than being dead. Being alive is better than being dead. He says in verses 4 to 6, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they take a part, or have a part, in anything that happens under the sun. The last part of verse 4 may have been an, an old proverb used back then. You know, lions like today were considered noble, regal animals. You know, even when kids go to the zoos nowadays, you know, one of the first animals they want to see is like the lion versus something like a fox, you know, a wolf or something like that. You know, but dogs back then were viewed much differently than they are now. They weren't seen as, you know, the cute, loyal, man's best friend animals we think of them as today. They were seen as scavengers. They were viewed with contempt. As an example of this, 
You may remember the story of David and Goliath. And when David comes to fight Goliath, Goliath looks at him and gets offended. And he says to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So Colin's point is that even if you are seen as a despised animal, you are better off than an admired lion if you're still alive and the lion's dead. Because you can still experience life and all that it brings versus this dead noble lion who's been able to share in this experience. So being alive is better than being dead. The second thing Coralette concludes is because we don't understand what's going on, we can't understand what's going on, and we're all going to die at some point, well, you might as well just enjoy life while you can. Eat, drink, enjoy. And he states this in verses 7 to 10. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your Latin life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. You know, his point is that God is not an evil or harsh God. He's a good God who has given you good things. So enjoy them. If he's blessed you with food to eat, eat it. You don't have to feel guilty about it. If he's giving you savory libations to drink, you know, sip it with joy. If he has given you a spouse, spend time with your spouse to enjoy each other and do things together. At the end of verse 7, you know, Koala says, God has already approved of these things. In verse 8, when he talks about dressing up in white, understand white was considered like the dress-up clothes for that day. You know, white garments were used for celebratory occasions. So once again, he's, he's encouraging us, go out, enjoy life, because you don't know how much longer you, you have to enjoy it. And we don't understand what's going to happen, you know, what may happen next. So get what you can out of this meaningless life. Does this sound like good advice? I mean, to some extent, it probably is. But once again, it left me very unsatisfied. And I wrestled with whether this conclusion was one we should have, you know, on how we should live our lives nowadays. If it was, I was thinking my goal should change so that I can get back to Hawaii as often as I can and, you know, enjoy shaved ice and malasadas and hapia pie. If you don't know what these things are, you know, go to Hawaii and you'll enjoy them. I mean, if it is, I should just post on Facebook what probably 90% of the world posts on Facebook, you know, posting pics of restaurants I've been to, things, the food I've enjoyed, places I've traveled to. You know, by posting these things, it would affirm that this is my philosophy in life, to eat and drink and enjoy. In fact, in pre- preparing for this message, I was listening to a sermon on this chapter by a pretty well-known evangelical preacher. Uh, I won't say his name, but if, if I said it, you, you, many of you would be familiar with who he is. And, and he's known for you know, being very true to Scripture, true to the Word. And his takeaway from this passage was, was just that. Enjoy life. 
You know, God's not a killjoy. He's, he's blessed you with good things, so enjoy them. Don't feel guilty about indulging in good food and drink. You know, God has blessed you with a spouse, so enjoy each other. You know, grow together in your marriage. You know, and there is some truth to this teaching. But I, I just felt there's got to be more than, you know, eat, drink, and enjoy. And I think I can say that because Ecclesiastes is an incomplete book, especially for those of us who live on this side of the cross. And when I say incomplete, I'm not saying that you know, chapters are missing from the book. What I mean is that Koalath writes like he doesn't know the answers. I mean, he, does, he writes not pretending to know all the answers. I mean, we see emphatically he doesn't know all the answers. Right at the end of verse, at the end of chapter eight, right? He's like, you know, he, he writes, despite man's efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. If someone claims to know it, he doesn't know. So we need to see the book of Ecclesiastes as a larger part, as a part of a larger book that gives more full answers. That is, you know, the Bible. It is in the whole context of Scripture that we get answers to many of the same questions that Koalath asks in Ecclesiastes. As one commentator put it, Ecclesiastes pushes us towards a synthesis which lies mostly beyond its pages. So now that Jesus has come to earth, was crucified and rose again, now that we have the New Testament, what should be added to Koalath's perspective? I mean, there's so much scripture that I could share in response to this, but, but let me touch on two passages very briefly. The Koalath says, eat, drink, and enjoy. I think the Apostle Paul would teach, live to show that your delight is in Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 to see what he writes regarding Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll start with verse 29. 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. He says, Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I say every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You see, Paul understands that because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, those who are followers of Jesus are now reconciled back into their relationship with God and have this hope of resurrection after death to be with God. Verse 29, if you're reading it and, a little, and are a little confused by what it's trying to say or what Paul's trying to say in the verse, uh, we don't actually, I don't have time or want to focus on that now. It is a difficult verse and you can come to me and I can share with you what I think it means. Um, but you know, what I want you to get is, is more what he writes in verse 30 to 32. You know, once Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ, his life was dramatically transformed from a person who would actively persecute Christians to one who would actively risk his life for Christ, as he describes in these in 30 to 32. 
You know, he's fully convinced that because of the cross and Christ's resurrection, living a life for Jesus outweighs anything this world can offer. So he spends his life seeking to follow Jesus by carrying this message of hope, the gospel, to others. He does so, as, as he implies in these verses, even if it would cause imprisonment or even death. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, he argues his life would have been one of disillusionment and just a waste. As he writes at the end of verse 32, making maybe taking a page out of Koalet, you know, if the dead are not raised, we should eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, he basically agrees with Koalet. You know, if this is all we have, you know, this life on earth, then let's do, let's enjoy. You know, let's live it to the fullest. Let's indulge. But because of Christ's resurrection, he chooses not to live this way. Paul understands the grace and love that God has given to him. So he chooses to make the greatness of God and this great grace and love known. A passage when many of you are probably familiar with, you know, has Jesus also saying, Do not store up for yourself treasures and here on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So live for a higher calling than indulging in food and drink. Next, the caller states that by being alive is better than being dead. Paul would also teach us that we need to see death as gain. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Continuing on, he says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I stay and remain in the body. If and Koala's focus, you know, all we have is life on earth, death is a terrible thing because, you know, it's the finality of our lives. But once again, for those of us living on this side of the resurrection, we have hope for life after the grave. And it's not just a hope to be resurrected, but it's hope to be with Christ. This is Paul's perspective in Philippians. If I died and went to be with Jesus, Paul is saying, that would be true joy for me. I'd rather do that. But I understand God wants me to remain alive on earth so I can continue to minister to you Philippians, so I'll just go ahead and do that in obedience to Christ. I'm actually making a sacrifice by staying here on earth you know, to minister to the Philippians according to Paul. And so that, though death is a great equalizer, Understand that what happens after death is not. And to be with Christ, you know, that is gain. Many of you know my mother passed away a couple of months ago. And, you know, during the process of seeing her pass away and throughout the funeral preparations, I more fully recognize the hopelessness of death without Christ. You know, of course, my family and I miss her presence deeply. But knowing my mother was a believer, you know, I had this peaceful hope throughout the whole process. I knew that she was going to be with the Lord and that one day I would see her again. 
and join her in being with our Lord. And it also made me think of those who die without the Lord. I mean, for these people, if they really believe that life on earth is all there is, then death is you know, really tragic. It's their finality. But for those in Christ, as Paul states, death is not loss, but gain. And, in every, and if any of you here don't already have this hope, I pray that you would consider your relationship with Christ so that you can share in the same hope that I and many others here in the congregation have. In making these two addendums, understand I, or more so the Apostle Paul, is not saying that we shouldn't enjoy the things God has blessed us with on earth. You know, when some people read a passage like Ecclesiastes 9, they can respond in one of two ways. They can do addition by subtraction. And what I mean by this is they can read this and say, no, this isn't good, this isn't right. We should not pursue earthly pleasures. In fact, we should abstain from them and just live simply to glorify God. So they do so. You know, and these are the types of people who, you know, you might expect to, you know, join a monastery or a convent or something like that just to, you know, to renounce all earthly things and just live for Christ. And on the other hand, maybe a response could be addition by addition. And think if this is what Coralette is teaching, then let's do this to the max, you know, and totally indulge. You know, these, these people will think nothing of spending money to go out and eat all the time, try a new restaurant, you know, take trips on a whim. And I believe scripture does not require us or teach us to follow either of these perspectives. You know, God has blessed us with things on earth to enjoy. But recognize once again that for those of us who are followers of Christ, we do live for a higher calling. And that is what is to be demonstrated in our lives. So when people look at your lives, what would they say you live for? And you know, as we seek to live our lives on earth now, once again, we know that God is not predictable in the way we'd like to see him. We can't expect to receive certain responses from him based on our thoughts or actions. We can't put God through a conditioning process so that we always get the altoids when we desire to. But though we won't always get the altoids when we desire, understand that God does desire to condition us in one sense. He desires to condition us to recognize we need to have an uninterrupting dependence on him and a trust that will endure regardless of reward. We need to recognize his sovereignty over all things, but more so the fact that he is a good God. And as we live our lives to glorify him, we will experience the joy of being in a relationship with Christ. I don't think Korla would deny this perspective, and Paul would affirm this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, scripture and for the things that you teach us through it. We thank you for books like Ecclesiastes that make us wrestle with the questions that have, you know, of deeper meaning, you know, the questions of the meaning of life. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the entire scripture to give us fuller answers 
to this meeting. Lord, we don't understand your ways. We don't understand why you do the things you do. We are so unlike you, Lord. But we see works that you have done. We see that you have loved us and sacrificed your son Jesus so that we might be restored and reconciled back in our relationship with you. We see that you have given us grace and mercy even when we don't deserve it. And so, Lord, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, may we show that we live for you, that we live to display your glory in our lives. And our glory is not for food or drink or the other pleasures on earth that is offered to us. And it probably sings in Jesus' name. Amen.